Welcome, my friends. Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. It is Tuesday, December 13th. We are here live. It is time for the Power Hour. I'm still half asleep. That's another story. It's a good thing we have a whole team here today. So we're going to open up the phone lines right now. Start dialing. Anything goes as long as it has to do with trucks and maintenance. 855-950-3835 is the number to join us. Open up the phone lines right now. So start dialing. We'll get to those calls here in just a little bit. Looks like we've got Bruce with us. Bruce, looks like you're up first today. Welcome back. Well, thank you, Kevin. As always, it's our pleasure. Great. I just wanted to start out by... Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I-70 coming into Denver is closed. Ice and snow blizzard. And I-76... So if you're traveling from east to west and you need to get in Denver, you may want to stay on 80 and come down I-25. There you go. Sounds Second of all, some rough weather. I've also heard some predictions we're going to have a lot of snow on Christmas this year. Oh, well, okay. It's a white Christmas. That's the way it's supposed to be. That's right. Uh, Josh Schaefer and Jeff Nelson from Turnaround Transport will be here this weekend in Colorado. We'll be snowmobiling up on Rabbit Ears Pass. Uh, there's reports of it being as deep as five feet there. So if you're in the Colorado, Iowa, Nebraska, Wyoming area, uh, and you want to join us to snowmobile, Give me a call. Call the shop. Let Kathy know, and she'll get in touch with me, and I'll call you. Next is tremendous amount of calls on big camps, and nobody seems to know their CPL, which is control parts list. And it would be like you guys taking a load into a huge warehouse, and nobody knows where you're supposed to go. And there's 84 garage bays and nobody knows. That's basically what it's like when you call us and you don't know what engine you have. So, Bruce. It's the yes. same way whether you have a deep. Oh, go I was ahead. just going to say, while we're on that topic, if somebody has an engine, any engine, I know you're talking specifically about the big cam right now, and they've never even heard the term CPL or controlled parts list, how do they find it? What's the easiest way, if you don't even know what this is, what's the easiest way to find your CPL? Okay. I was going to also mention D-Deck 2, 3, 4, 5, and 6, and uh, also Caterpillar 5EK, 1LW, 6TS, MXS. It's just nice to know what engine you have when we start the conversation. CPL is on the aluminum data tag on the big cam and small cam Cummins. It runs vertical in front of the air compressor on the timing case cover. It is sometimes hard to read. And if you can get the engine serial number, that will help. But that's a whole lot more work for us. The CPL is the best, and it's on there. If the tag is gone because it's held on with rivets and it's been on there 30, 40, 50 years, the engine serial number is on the driver's side of the block at the rear, 
and it's below the third head, there's a flat spot. And you may have to scrape some paint off to see it if the engine's been painted several times. So, okay. W- hold on. That's that. One okay, of the things ahead. people could do, no matter what engine they have or what truck they have, the next time they're in a shop, whether it's a dealer or a shop like yours, they could ask, what engine specifically do I have in here? And any shop should be able to figure out which numbers they need, right? Yeah. If you're in Kenworth, Peterbilt, Freightliner, give them the last six of your VIN and ask, what engine do I have? What gear ratios do I have? What transmission do I have? You know, people could keep track of all of that in their fuel gauges app. They should probably just take the time if they're not sure of which model, which CPL, which version of an engine they've got. Like you said, call with the last six of your VIN. They'll give you all that. Put it in your fuel gauges app or a note on your phone, and then you're done and you've got it. Now, me, I would write it on a three-by-five card, cut the rest of the card off, and put it in my wallet. That's how I would do it. Or I would have it stuck on the sun visor of my truck because it's very critical to know that. There you go. All right. Give you a couple options. And if you put it on the sun visor. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I was at a sales training one time and they said if you really want something bad enough new Corvette, home in the mountains whatever, home at the beach cut out a picture of a magazine tape it to your bathroom mirror so every morning and every night you see it now I realize for over the road guys that doesn't work but if you put it on somewhere in your truck that you saw it multiple times a day it will help you find a way to get that. Bruce, I had a so. I had a version of that I use a lot. You know how everybody really loves the look of a nice classic. We talk about this all the time. They do look nice. No doubt about it. That we call them classic for a reason. Thank you. But I've said Thank you, you know, Kevin. The, That's nice to hear. The whole thing, though, is is if you own one and you're spending fourteen hours a day driving it. You're not looking at it. You don't get to see it. I said, you should buy a nice, really efficient Aerodyne truck. Take a picture of that classic truck and put it up on your dash somewhere. You can look at it all day then. (laughs) Uh, That wouldn't work for me. (laughs) No, I have to have it. Anyway, um, I do have a new cell phone. So it's very hard, you know, when you got over a thousand people on your phone to text everybody and tell them who you are. Some up text, this is Bruce. They text back, Bruce who? So <laughs> even some of my catalyst dealers. <laughs> so, uh, if you're trying to get me, please call the shop. Kathy will get you to me. Uh, get into my voicemail. I return calls till as late as nine o'clock at night. Got it. And also... I got a customer that uh, just bought a truck with a big cam in it with no Jake brakes, and we can get brand new Jake brakes. I think they're around twenty four hundred dollars. Pete can verify that. Is that correct, Pete? Twenty four hundred. They're not on yet. Wow. Oh, you know what? They they are. They aren't on yet. Let me check to see if I have any notes about why they're not on. Got something from. Got it. Huh. Um, 
Okay. Oh, you know what? Um, I think they're working with them to get them on now. I made some changes in the show, and I think the link they normally use got changed. So we'll get them in here. Okay. Also, Gary Johnson, South Dakota, heavy hauler, six and a quarter Acer cat. With our tune, and it's he's probably at about 750 horsepower. He's 67 years old. Called me yesterday. We had been talking about gears. All his buddies in South Dakota told him he's crazy. Leave the 336s in there. He went to 264s. And they still don't want to believe him. And he's telling them how great it is. This guy used a word yesterday about his truck and these gears. He said the love word four times. <laughs> he loves this truck so much. No problem starting out. He said, I've been in some terrible conditions, 106,000 pounds. He said it starts right out. Um, listen to this. One particular hill that he pulls in Oklahoma he could only pull it at 52 miles an hour. So he has an 18 speed. He was probably in 17th gear, I'm assuming. With the 264s, he stays in direct 16 gear, 16th gear. He goes up the hill at 62. He gained 10 mile per hour on that hill. Wow. And everybody keeps saying, I'm going to lose power on the hills. No, you're going to gain power on the hills because you're already in the gear that pulls the hardest, direct gear. It, it, he I, said it makes life easier, and he said there's no comparison between the 264s and the 336s. It's just so far superior. Bruce, how many times have we had to say this over the years and we still have to say uh -huh. it constantly? That this just, it, it shocks me how so many people in the industry, even people who really, you know, understand most things about trucks, they just seem to struggle with this gear issue. They hear a rear end ratio and that's all they think about. They, they just think they, they have this mindset that, a low gear ratio pulls good, a high gear ratio doesn't, and they ignore all the other factors. Now, it's not the listeners that we have, and it's not the people that read my articles and go on our website. It's the people that don't know about this show. It's the people that don't know about the articles and never go on our website. I find some people that say, you know, I don't have time to read. Yeah. What do you do when you're shut down for? 10 hours. If you, if you would read 15 minutes or a half hour a day, you could really educate yourself. But why I'm saying this is those of you listening, tell your friends how to get on this show, how to get on our website, spread the word because it makes our life easier. Let's put it this way. Let's take first grade through 12th grade. Everybody on here has cleared 12th grade and have cleared Botech. We get so many calls every day. These guys, and I don't care if they've been trucking for 25 years, it's like they're in second and third grade. They don't have a clue of what we're talking about. Yep. And it, it's, and, and I can tell you, call after call, it's, it can get so frustrating. Absolutely. And that's why Pete always said, 
the guys that went to the CMC are the easiest people to talk to because they have all this knowledge. You need to bring the CMC back. We, we are talking about it already. We may, I know we're running out of time. Um, we may do something at Louisville this year. We will be doing something. We're already talking to show management this year about seminars, but we may, we may be able to put something a little bigger than just some seminars together. Obviously, it wouldn't be as big as a, as a traditional CMC was, but we are going to get back to that. But I, I want to go back to something you said, because you were talking to truck drivers, and I know you were talking about a very specific piece of information at that point. But when, if I ever hear a truck driver say, I don't have time to read, I, I tell truck drivers, you should have a PhD in something by now. You have 14 hours a day to read. The, everything is on an audiobook anymore. If you really wanted to, things that aren't on audiobooks, you could make them into audiobooks yourself with the technology. I, there's, there's no excuse ever for a truck driver to say, I don't know because I don't have time to read. They have more time to read. The only people that have more time than truck drivers to read and learn are people who are unemployed. Yep, I agree. The auto or audio road was good uh, years ago when I was on the road selling for the company. We had cassettes and I listened to Raymond, is it Raymond Kroc with McDonald's? Yes. And... Um, uh, Walter Chrysler, uh, McKay from the K Envelopes in uh, Minneapolis. And it, the list goes on and on. Uh, Dennis Waitley. Oh, I remember Listen, Dennis His Waitley. vocabulary. Yeah, his vocabulary was a little tough. Yeah. He, uh, yeah. he used some pretty big words. Zig Ziglar. Uh, good guy. Oh, Zig. God, I still have his tapes, have his books. And he has passed away. Dennis Waitley has passed away. Um, the K Envelope said, uh, those of you who have straight jobs and you run around cities and you deliver your product, where's the best place to put the name on your truck? On the top of the van. What do you see when you look out of a high-rise building? <laughs> the top of vehicles. That's right. <laughs> You know, so he had McKay envelopes painted on the tops of his vans. You know, Bruce, we um, we did something similar to that when we bought that very first little ten by ten show trailer that we uh, pulled around to do the truck shows. We put our message on top of the trailer because when you drove by a semi, they could look right down and see it. I was uh, with my two older sisters, and I told them, you know, every time you pass a semi, they're looking inside your car. <laughs> they, they said, why? I said, it's just a natural instinct as a car's going by you, because a lot of times there's a pretty good show going on in there. There you go. And you just look in every car. I did it when I was driving my Kenworth. You know, it's just, just an automatic instinct. You just look. <laughs> they were a little shocked. And my oldest sister's 83 and the other one's 79. And they didn't realize that. <laughs> By the way, I tried to give them advice. Do you think they'd take advice from their youngest brother? Well, there you go. So, my, uh, 
My sister put her Buick in park on a fairly steep grade, and as she was getting out and took her foot off the park, not the parking brake, the regular brake, the car drifted backwards and it caught her off guard. I said, Nancy, you didn't put the emergency brake on first. She said, well, we don't do that in Florida. I said, your driveway is steep. Your car may not come out of park. Because this happened to us one time in a friend's driveway. Park, at least it used to be back in the 60s, was a cog gear and a lever came over and caught in the cog. And that's why sometimes when you put it in park, it'll drift forward a couple inches until that lever gets in the cog. Well, if you're on a steep enough grade and there's too much pressure, you can't pull it out of park. Yeah. So, and you see this on boat ramps all the time. And I'll, if you go on and watch videos of pickup trucks, uh, people get out of them that release their boat, and there goes the truck and the boat down into the water. Yeah. It's because they don't use the emergency brake first. And if it's an older pickup, you have to adjust that emergency brake. So, uh, always put it in park. And now put it, the emergency brake on, put it in park, and then slowly release your foot off the service brake. So, yeah, I, she wouldn't, she wouldn't listen to that. <laughs> she wouldn't listen. Yeah. And so, then they, they have cereal every morning. I try to tell them that cereal's bad for them. They, they said, uh, well, we're still healthy. So, okay. Anyway, one other thing I have. Scott Good called me. 6NZ Cat, 387 Pete. Fresh overhaul. It has trouble holding 180 degree colon temp. Not this time of the year. And it wants to stay down around 172. And uh, that's pretty unusual. And I said, I wonder if the seal in the housing is correct because the thermostat open and closes and riding on a seal. And if the seal is cockeyed, and we have a tool that you put the seal in with, water will pass by the outside, or coolant will pass by the outside of the thermostat. He said, well, we'll just push them in with our fingers. No. They either have to be tapped in with a big socket and a hammer, or put on a press and pressed in with a driving tool. So, my suggestion to him was get a new thermostat housing because I have a feeling that his is worn. And that's the only thing we could come up with on that problem. Got it. All right. So is that all you've got? That was a lot. Uh, and those that want to go to the owner-operator snowmobile conference, we cannot register at the Line Shack Lodge until December 23rd. Mike Lane and Josh Schaefer from Turnaround Transport, they all have the number. I'll have the number. I'll get all the information to Kathy. You can call Kathy on it. And it is November 1st. I'm sorry, March 1st, 2nd, 3rd, and 4th. Excellent. Two boys, Wyoming. Excellent. All right. All right. That's what I have. So I want to go back to something because I think it was important what you talked about. We talked about reading. We talked about the cassette programs. One other name. Do you, did you ever listen to Brian Tracy? I think I have. In, uh, could I have cassettes on him? I have a bow drawer filled with cassettes. 
By the way, I've tried to give them away to people, and nobody has any interest in them. Yeah, um, yeah I know. So here, here's an interesting. It's funny that this came up today. Um, I was just at a conf. One other thing I wanted to ask: wasn't it the Las Vegas truck show the first time you and I met in person? I think it was, and that's when I brought I, I brought over some of our parts catalogs. I said, you probably won't pass these out, will you? And you said, sure, I will. Yes. And that's the first time I said, you know, this Kevin Rutherford's all right. I like this guy already. Yep, that was that and was then the we did Vegas the truck show. We did the live, we did the live show, and I brought over a boost gauge and a pyrometer, and I told you how we diagnose problems. Yep. And uh, you were you kind of liked that. I did. Yeah. Uh, so it was. I was just back in Las Vegas again. That's why I was thinking about this. I went to a conference there last week, a medical conference. So I was uh, the the biggest reason I went. This one was all about anti aging and not really into that stuff a lot. There's a lot of scams in that part of the industry, but the conference itself was really good. And I, I mostly went down to meet um, Jack, Doctor Wolfson, the cardiologist I've told you about. Uh, in fact, he's mm-hmm. going to be on the show right. tomorrow. So I went down and, and him and I Good. spent quite a bit of time together while we were down there. But, you know, over the years, I've had a lot of really successful people on this show, people who have owned small businesses, built bigger businesses. It, a lot of the companies we deal with, it's just the market we like, tend to be smaller businesses, you know, where we're dealing with the owner. And that's usually who we have on the show. So the, the one consistent thing that I've seen across the board. These people are all readers. We we get into a conversation about books. You talk about the same things. I, w- I was talking with Dr. Wolfson. We went to breakfast and I don't even remember how it com- came up. It always does. Uh, the subject of books. And I had mentioned um, Napoleon Hill, Think and Grow Rich. One of the, that book must be like 80 years old, maybe even more than that. I don't know. Yeah. And he yeah. mentioned one. I read that one ago. Yeah, and he mentioned one that I had read and totally had forgotten about. Uh, but it just the the real message here was that successful people read a lot. They really do. But did you ever um, see the book that Napoleon Hill wrote called "Outwitting the Devil"? No, that's a really good one. In fact, that one might even be better than Think and Grow Rich, but it just never became that popular. Look that one up. You can still, I think you can just download a free PDF of it nowadays. Um, it's called Outwitting the Devil. Really interesting Outthink- book. Outthinking the Devil? Outwitting the Devil, yeah. Outwitting. Yeah, check that one out. Did you read Jay Clement Stone's? Uh, he started combined insurance agencies. He had a statement. And I try to think about this every day. It's called Do It Now. The light breaks off your truck, fix it now. Yep. Spot mirror gets broken. Next truck stop you're at, just grab, grab one and fix it. Just do it now. The uh, trucks with the side fairings, the freight liners, and Volvos, you're going down a highway, you see them flopping in the wind. Just take some time and do it now. I met a guy, I saw him again on a catalyst. He doesn't know about our show, doesn't know about our articles or anything. 
it was at one time a beautiful 2013 um, W9. And it's got a beautiful light bar in the back, but it's held on with a two-inch ratchet binder. For the sake of some nuts and bolts. Yep. And some reinforcing. There you go. Just, just do it now. W. Clement Stone. And by the way, those that live in snow country, that, that's another one. Anyone that lives in snow. What's that? Well, I was just going to say I hadn't heard that name in a long time, W. Clement Stone. And W. Clement Stone. You know how? And I'll tell you where another place you can get good sayings. Buy Harley Davidson little calendar. These things are about five or six inches by four inches and they have good sayings faith is the daring of the soul to go further than it can see all roads lead to success even the detours only he who keeps his eye fixed on the far horizon will find his right road and then the dub chocolate the little pieces compromise is a sign of strength not weakness they have all these good Boldly face down your fears. Blessings only come to those who notice. Good Never stuff. let others' opinion change the way you feel about yourself. These are all great little sayings, and you, you look at them and you think about them. I like when you can't control the wind, adjust your sails. That's a good one. Yeah. Sailboater. Yeah. Yep. Instead of complaining, hey. try to find a solution. Hey, Bruce. So it's fun yes. now we're talking about quotes. I, I've been doing a lot of quotes lately because when I record my commentaries, I always start them with a quote and something I'm grateful for. So I was looking through quotes the other day. I actually came across a quote. This doesn't happen very often either. I talk about this all the time. I don't have many original ideas. Uh, but I came across a quote of mine that I think was pretty darn good. I think you'll appreciate this one. So... My quote, and I'm going to just, I don't have it in front of me, but I'm pretty sure I'll be able to say this correctly. I should be able to. It was mine. Uh, I said, if you're in small business, gross revenue is a measure of how well you are serving others. And net profit is a measure of how well you're serving yourself. And you have to do both. It's true. Very true. All right. Should I bring the other guys in? The rest of the team? Yeah. Go ahead. All right. Oh, there was another one about, do you ever see the one about smiling? If you're, you, you can't be in a grouchy mood if you smile. And if you're going into a shop and you're pissed off at them or pissed off at your truck, put a fake smile on your face and walk in there. Things will go much better. Yeah, good advice. Yeah, same way if you're going into a shipper or a receiver, I know sometimes it's hard. Or if you go into a scale house. I was at a dinner um, dinner play, dinner. Well, the guy was actually, he sang and looked like John Denver. And his bass guitar, this was with my sisters down in Florida last week. The guy that played his the bass guitar, he smiled the whole time. Ladies are taking pictures of him because of his smile. So I saw him at intermission, and he's about 55 years old. And he said, well, I'm from, the, from Brooklyn, and we used to sing on the street corners. And the police had come by, 
and tell us we're disturbing the peace and we need to go. And the third time he, he said they come by, he said, I'm telling you, I'm going to arrest you if you don't leave this street corner. And I'm going to start with Smiley over there. The guy's been smiling since he was a teenager. I never saw anything like this. So I'm, I'm trying to smile more. You know? so, there you go. All right. All right. Pete, are you with us this morning? I am, Kevin. How are you doing today? Doing good. What's on your mind this week? Okay. So I don't have a whole lot, but I did get a email. And this is kind of interesting in a sense that, you know, the trucks have changed so much recently. I mean, in the 90s, there wasn't a whole lot of change, even 2000s. And it just, you know, if you look back how far things have changed, just with the newer trucks. But I had a customer that sent me an email uh, wanting some advice and possibly some parts for a uh, CPL number 22. So in the, the Cummins books, they have what they call CPLs, which is stands for critical parts list. So if I have that number, I can have an idea what that the engine is as far as timing and, and compression ratio and, and so forth. Um, this came out of a, a 1974 truck, and the guy is still running it daily. I just see that, you know, it's ironic with what is out there nowadays, the, the new trucks and the technology. He's still running something like that. You know, Pete, we, we don't. Uh, business sorry. card. It's a 71 uh, KW with an NTA 370 in it. Wow. So the NTAs had a high volume, and it's a little bit before my time, but they, I do remember it an a different water pump compared to what we're used to seeing, like on most small camps and big camps. It was a uh, uh, really high volume. It moved a ton of water or coolant, and most of it was you know, commercial. So I was surprised this was in a truck. But I do remember a long time ago working on these engines with this water pump. And if I remember right, you adjusted the water pump belt by mo- moving the water pump. It wasn't a separate separate idler. Like it was on an eccentric. You'd loosen the bolts and you'd twist the water pump to tighten the belt. Is that correct, Bruce? Do you remember that? Oh, I guess not. We, do we I still have no Bruce? Does. Hold on. He's still there. Are we gone? Bruce? Yeah. He probably put us on hold and I can't tell. Who? Bruce, you. Yes. Nah, pit stop. I'll take the old Jordan come back. Yeah. Pete? It was a really interesting story thus far. Thanks. Is anybody hearing me? I just want to like chime in with sarcastic remarks, but. I don't know if yeah, we can hear you. Mm-hmm. So why is it? Why does it sound like nobody can hear each can, other? Like we're all talking to ourselves. I can hear Pete. Okay. Still, what, you, what your truck was that? Seventy-one. Pete. The guy still runs a seventy-one. Can, whatever. Can it's like oh, that guy Lee can't Roy read properly. <laughs> runs it three to four hours a day. Pete, mm. Leroy, we're uh. I don't know what's going I've on. I've done the text message. Um, yeah, I'm going to put them back not, in the queue. I, I knew something was weird. Um, oh, boy. I think we may have. 
What happened? Oh, no, there they are. I put them back in the queue till we figure out what's going on. It sounds like they weren't able to hear us because they were just talking and not really responding. So, Bruce, what started that yeah. whole exchange um, was Pete, if, interestingly enough, even though we don't prearrange all this stuff, Pete was talking about CPLs as well. And then he was talking about some older engines and he asked you a question and you didn't respond. So then I tried to get you to respond. Uh, Those two were talking like they couldn't hear us anymore. Um, Let me try to bring them. You know, when we don't have commercial breaks, you know, when we don't have commercial breaks and you drink a lot of water, sometimes you just have to run away from the phone for 15, 20, maybe 30 seconds. Got it. Okay. All right. So I think we're, we're getting them back in. I'm not sure what was going on with their line. So let's wait just a second here. Are you there, Kevin? There we go. Um, Pete, are you back? I'm back. Okay. Yeah, we lost you guys. This went blank. Yeah, except it didn't go blank. We could still hear you guys. Good job, Leroy. What do you mean, good job? <laughs> <laughs> So, Pete, well, let's go back to where we got off track there and ran into the ditch. You had asked Bruce something, and Bruce didn't respond, so let's go back to that point. Uh, what what I asked me, Pete? On that water pump, didn't the adjustment, we had to move the water pump to adjust the belt. Was that not correct? Do you remember that? On an, on an NTA? Yes. Yes, it was, was belt-driven. Yeah, so instead of having an idler pulley that you would move, you would actually uh, loosen up the water pump and rotate it to tighten up the belt. Right. Pete, did you tell them why they quit using that water pump? I, I, to be truthful, I don't know. I, I've only seen okay. a couple of the NTAs, and it was kind of a little bit before my time. Right. The NTA, big cam, 400, that had the outboard mounted water pump. Kevin, this pump would pump 110 gallons of water a minute. Holy cow. Why? Well, that's why they quit it. They went to the FFC, full flow cooling, and they cut it back to 55 gallons a minute. So think about a 55 gallon drum. That's how much water is pumped through that engine every minute. And the NTA was double that. That's crazy. It was a double. Wow. Mm-hmm. You learn that stuff by hanging out with the engineers in Columbus, Indiana. So <laughs> yeah. I was fortunate to get invited in. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, And now I have a new friend. He's a retired mechanical engineer from Caterpillar. We're going to be doing some boating together and spending time together this winter. That should get so, interesting. You know, I'll be picking his. I'll be picking his brain too. Yeah, that should get interesting. He he loved cars, golf carts, and boats. There you go. So, Pete, okay. when you were talking before and you couldn't hear me, I was starting to say that it's it's interesting. We don't like pre-arrange or plan these shows or the opens and um bruce one of his topics today was cpls and then you got on and you were talking about cpls so what else you got uh, so that that was it i mean it's been busy and uh 
didn't have time to plan much, but I got the, that email, and I'm thinking, well, that's really, and, and they use that truck three to four hours a day at, at 80,000 pounds. It's hard to believe something that old still up and running and making money. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's good to see. All right. That is it for me. Looks like you're up. What do you got today? Uh, well, I'm not going to talk about CPL, so <laughs> I'm not going to. I'm going to break the streak. All right. Um, so I didn't have too much, but I did notice that there was a guy in the tribe is talking about taking his DD into the shop, and the interesting part of his post, whether I read it right or misunderstood it, was it sounded like he had a one box put on. And then right after he left, he got the chick engine light on or the mill light. And then they brought it back in and they said there was no codes, but then they replaced the knock sensor. And then he says the light's back on again. And I'm just sort of like, I mean, I want to help the guy, but it's just like the guy should have got like the shop should have gave him a printout of like what the codes were. If the check engine light is on, it's because there's codes. You know what I mean? Right. Or, or hey, do you ever have a check engine light that malfunctions? I mean, you can, but pretty um, rare. I don't think I, I don't think I can count maybe two occurrences. You know, right? So when they say they replaced the knock sensor, what was their justification for doing that? Yeah, that's sort of the interesting piece. Like I said, I'm just uh, rereading it and. Um, yeah, replace the knock sensor after the second day. It's like, well, they said there's no codes, so how'd they know to replace the knock sensor if they that said there's no codes? That was my first thought. So there were codes. Right. <laughs> or did they just randomly replace something? Which isn't out of the question so, either. Yeah, that's definitely not out of the question. But why would you have to, I mean, I think those sensors are five, $600. So Holy cow. why pay for a sensor if you didn't need it? Yeah, good point. So, yeah, if you, if you got a check engine light on, like... A, Ask him for a printout. What, what are the codes? At least you have record of it yourself then. You're always talking about keeping good records and things like that, you know. Be like, oh, you put the sensor on. Like, why? If they said, oh, there's no codes, we just replaced it. Like, I'm not paying for something that you just randomly replaced. You know, that that's always been um, – that's kind of a pet peeve of mine with, with shops in general and – Sometimes I know you can't get around some of this stuff, but it, it always makes me a little crazy when I've had to deal with a shop that just starts throwing solutions at something with no real troubleshooting work, and I end up paying for it. Well, I know you did the work, but it didn't solve my problem. I came in with a specific problem. I want to pay you to fix that problem, and you're going to go through two or three random things, and I should pay for that? Yeah, it's, it's, I commented back, hopefully he gets back to me with what they had, but yeah, if the bottom line, check and light, check engine light is on, then there are codes. So it's, it's just amazing to me that we're in almost 2023. We still have these issues. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, it's not like it's a new issue anymore. So yeah. Yeah. All right. What else you got? That's all I had for today. All right. So I've got two things, and then we'll get to some calls. Um, I mentioned the book by Napoleon Hill, Outwitting the Devil. 
Um, I just got a text from Doug and Doug said, that's available on Audible. If I remember right, that wasn't really a very long book either. It's probably one you could listen to in a day. Um, the one thing you've got to be aware of that was written like 80 years ago. Um, so even the language, the words they use is a little odd, but a really good message in that one. So check it out. And Pete, real quick on, uh, the supply chain, um, it almost seems to me like things are getting worse again. You know, it just seems like I'm seeing a lot of examples all over the place of, of we just can't get stuff. So, I, uh, yes, so I have a customer <clears throat> with a 60 Series Detroit that needs an in-frame. Now, generally when a guy calls up for an estimate, I, I give my heads up that we might get it apart and the block's not any good. We're just seeing a lot of that. And what made me more concerned is his complaint and, and the reason he's getting it rebuilt is it's leaking coolant out of those weep holes that Detroit's have in their block. That's not a good so sign. So that's telling me the, no, the liner O-rings are bad, which no. we don't see O-rings go bad very often. I almost never see coolant leak out of that area. My concern is the block's bad. Yeah. So I told him, you know, I'll give him a couple estimates, a couple ways. And um, on the, we, we normally do a three-quarter inch, which is valve cover to oil pan, and we bolt up his manifold, ECM, and that kind of stuff. And they're, they're four to six, six weeks out. Uh, one boxes for DD-15s um, still out. I'm trying to find some N14 connecting rods, not available anywhere. And the local machine shop that doesn't press anymore just because it's been hard to get, they're so backed up, they're telling me three to four weeks between people being sick and off and holidays and so forth. Um, they're three to four weeks out on connecting rods. There, there's, so, yeah, the parts aren't really getting a whole lot better. There's something else going on. It, it's moving around a little bit, you know. It, there's got to be something else going on. Think back to when we first started talking about the supply chain issues. It was leading up to Christmas last year, right? Mm-hmm. And the big story was all the container ships. Remember, we were keeping count. There's 60 of them out there in the ocean. Mm -hmm. Now there's 70 of them out there in the ocean. All of our stuff is on those container ships. That's why we have all these shortages. Well, I just read the other day, there is no backup of container ships anywhere, anywhere right now. They're, they've cleared all of that. So why are and we still seeing the shortages Coast. across the board on stuff? So, and they're using the East Coast um, ports much more now. The, the, the uh, amount of ships coming in is, is a lot greater, which is you know, good for us on the East Coast. Right. Um, so I think, you know, World One would be China shutting everything down. They keep shutting cities down. Yeah, well, and most stuff from China. So it's got to be a lot of it. Maybe, maybe there's a lesson there. Maybe we shouldn't be depending on so much stuff from China. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no doubt, no yeah. doubt about that. We really need to start stuff here. Yeah, nothing about the supply chain seems to be getting better. All right, anybody have anything else, or should we find out what the callers want to talk about today? I don't have anything else, though. No. All right. We're going to go to the phones. We're going to start off in Missouri today. Brent, welcome to the program. 
Brent from Montana. Never, Mon I've never been to Missouri, so that Montana. can't be me. <laughs> well, you know, close enough. What's on your mind today? Close enough. Okay, what's on my mind? I've got a Cummins X15 with JR's tune in it. And I put a set of gauges in it. I put a pyrometer on the number four and a boost sensor right after the turbo. And the truck also has an, a, its own boost sensor in the intake. How much, how much boost would you expect to lose in, through the air to air? Would you, should it be a couple of pounds or do you think my gate, the gauges just don't sync up? No, no it can be a couple, it can be a couple of pounds. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So I've got on my, the gauge I installed, I've got, I can get 38 pounds of boost and then it's about 36 on the, the truck's OEM gauge. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's not bad. When we built a 903 for circle track truck racing, we put an air to air on it and I think we were losing almost 20 pounds of boost across the charge air cooler. And then we discovered that it's just too small. So if you're only losing two pounds, you're in great shape. Okay. So what would, what would you think my horsepower to the ground is then with 38 or 36, whichever one you're, you're going to read, I guess you're going to want to go with the one on the. I'm going to let go. I would say you're probably somewhere between five and a quarter and five fifty wheel and probably eighteen fifty to two thousand at the ground for torque is most likely what JR okay. set it up as. So would the torque on the dyno would on the on the flywheel would that be around twenty two fifty? Um something like and then one thing I'd like you guys to address is max EGTs and the duration that you're staying at those numbers because I, I quit staring at the EGT because it never really got over 1250 no matter what I was doing. And then the other day, I just happened to glance at it. I just started up a decent-sized hill. I pulled this hill all the time, and it was climbing quickly, and I watched it, and it, it went right to 1400 within about 10 seconds. Of course, I grabbed a couple gears and got it back down. But what are your so what, thoughts on what, what caused it to do that? Was, was the engine real cold? Was the temperature uh, real cold? The ambient temperature was probably 20 degrees Fahrenheit, typical winter day. And I had just left my house maybe 15 minutes earlier. It, but it's the same thing and, all the time. It was just, it was, it was the exact same thing I do every day. So whenever you leave the house, do you have how many miles of two-lane road before you're on a four-lane? Well, I got to drive 20 minutes through town. Okay, through that's good. Lights, and then it, and jump right on the interstate, and about two miles later, I'm pulling that hill. Yeah. If, if the gear lubes... And the transmission and the rears are cold, and the and the engine wouldn't be cold at that point. You can see higher exhaust temps, and colder air can sometimes make higher exhaust temps. So, 
but it only did it one time. Yeah, that's, I mean, what you're saying does make sense, but this is the only time it's done it. I only did it one time. So, you know, you've got a good system. Everything is working great if it only goes to 1250, and that's good. Yeah. And you want to know that, and you want to know your boost, which you said is 38, because when one changes, then we, we know what to go look for. So you still need to look at the pyrometer, but you don't have to stare at it like, like we did back in the days of the high horsepower big cams. Um, right. I, I don't have... I don't know why, other than maybe things were just too cold, why it did that spike. But 1,500 degrees does not hurt the new engines with steel pistons. You just don't want to sustain it. So that, this, this X-15 has steel pistons? Oh, yeah. Everything new has okay. steel pistons. Okay. By the way, if you would put a turbocharge a gasoline engine and put a pyrometer on a hot side. It, it sails right past 1,500 degrees. So. Yeah, I, I always kind of thought 12, 1,250 or so was kind of where you wanted to start paying attention. Yeah. And then 14, Between 12 and 13. Definitely short term. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If I was at 1,400, I'd drop a half a gear. If, if you're just getting ready to crest the hill, don't worry about it. But if you still have several miles to pull, just drop a half a gear and ease out of the yep. throttle. You know, it's not how fast you go up that hill. It's how many times you go up the hill. That's true. Makes sense. Well, it sounds like we're safe then. By the way, my 95 Dodge with aluminum pistons, I had so much fuel to it that out in Colorado, uh, it would bury it at 1,500 degrees. And if we were playing around with some power strokes or Duramaxes, I'd keep it there for maybe 10, 12 seconds, and then I'd ease out of it. And the engine's still running. It's a turnaround transport down in, in Missouri right now, and uh they're driving and it's it's fine. Doesn't use any oil and it's approaching three hundred thousand miles for the pickup. So, hey, what what's the this this tune is? I mean, this is a VGT. So I run a lot at seven thousand feet up in Wyoming, and it gets a lot closer to a stock truck horsepower. I'm assuming that's because you guys are trying to keep that turbo from overspinning. Yeah, you have to pull power out of it as you go up in altitude. Which to me is counterintuitive because I have supercharged boat engines and turbo snowmobiles that you would want. You would. My thinking is the higher you go, you're going to add boost to, to maintain your horsepower. But is it because the Cummins turbo is just too small and it and it starts to over rev or? Yeah, yeah, it's really just too small. You end up having uh, a bunch of check engine lights and D rates for too high a pyro temperature. As far as pyro is concerned, with the ECM calculating a number. Yeah, because it holds like almost fifteen percent on the torque meter at seven thousand feet, and then it's down to ten percent at six thousand feet, and then so on. And anything under forty-five hundred feet, it's hundred percent of torque. Like right now, it's a hundred percent of torque, and we're at forty-six. Hundred feet. Yeah, so it it doesn't just uh, cross a threshold and then stop. Up until I think fifty five hundred feet is the first threshold. So 
it's going to slope between the setting at, um, like say sea level and the setting at 5,500 feet. And it's going to slope in between that gradually. So you shouldn't feel uh, a step down, but it will just gradually, uh, start to back off as you go up in altitude or just yeah. really it's just not altitude. It's air density. So that could be altitude and, or, um, yeah. like high ambient temperature. Yeah, you can't feel it unless you're running with a guy that you had, know has the same setup as you, and they're they're pushing on you when they normally would be getting their ass kicked on a big hill and down lower. Right. Yeah. So that's the only way you would notice it. Same boost, pretty much. I don't know how it how it has basically the same boost, but it pulls torque somehow. That, that one mystifies me. BGTs. Yeah complicated not like the old superchargers on a big block chevy or <laughs> you know what you're getting every yeah every time what's non-mobility have turbocharged well i've had several over the years but most recently i just bought a new skidoo summit summit mm -hmm. x and that thing is just flat amazing yeah i have a it, 2017 that we turboed at six pound of boost and it's 200 horsepower. And it's, um, you know what they say with great power comes great respect. It can hurt you. I, just, I, I had a 300 horsepower four stroke Yamaha one couple winters and that thing was mind boggling. It was an awful piece of crap once you got off the trail, but on the trail it was, it was a whole lot of fun, but. Right. Well, you know, at 200 horsepower, they, at 200 horsepower, they say it's zero to 60 in two seconds. So, yeah, you couldn't hang on. It was it was out of control. Yeah, but like this new Skidoo, actually, this is a 22. I found a new one. The newer one is at 15 more horse, but mine is 165 at sea level and 165 at 10,000 feet. So it's yeah, and it's factory turbo. So it just you just it just runs. There's no messing around. You don't have to look at gauges or anything. You just ride it. Come to Rabbit Ears Pass and ride with us this weekend. Where's where Rabbit Ears? Over right above Steamboat, Colorado. Oh, it's too far to go. Okay. Then come to the owner operator snowmobile conference in Dubois, Wyoming, in March. Yeah, that one I might think about. Have some time to plan for that. Okay. Yeah. You know, parking this truck makes it an expensive week off. Yeah, I know, but it's good for the it's good for the mind to go and spend four days with other owner operators and talk trucks and talk sleds and anything else we want to. So. I agree. We just we just rode Big Sky Montana this weekend and there's five feet of five feet of snow already, so it's a good start. And you didn't invite me. Give me that new cell phone, and I'll call you a lot. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Brent, that's why he had to get a new cell phone. <laughs> no, it was, a, it was the spam calls. Hey, hey, I haven't had a spam call now for six days. There you go. So nice. There you go. All right. All right. We're going to cut you loose. Hey, Bruce, you know, it's uh, – I. I mentioned I was at that medical conference and it was interesting. I heard the same comment over and over and over when I was going through the exhibit hall and 
looking at new products and stuff and talking to people. And of course, they always ask what you do. And so I'd mentioned the whole trucking thing. You know, I'd say we do nutrition and health, but we only deal with truck drivers. And I've, I've been to other conferences outside the industry and they're always interested. But this time I kept hearing the same comment from multiple people. And I thought, this is just odd. You know, we'd start talking and I'd start telling them about, you know, we only deal with truck drivers and this is what they do. And I'll bet, not exaggerating, somewhere between at least five and 10 times, somebody made, it was almost like they had a script. They all said, that's the most interesting story I've heard this whole event. They were all just fascinated by the whole, we only dealt with truck drivers. You know, another interesting thing, I'll probably tell this story tomorrow because I have Dr. Wolfson coming on with me tomorrow, the cardiologist. Him and I hung out through most of the show and breakfast and dinner and came up with a ton of ideas. But we were, there were several other cardiologists uh, at this event. And this was primarily more of a natural health event. So it was good to see, you know, a lot of traditional doctors there. And obviously, Dr. Wilson knows all the cardiologists and they were all kind of standing around talking and somehow we got on this topic of celebrities and somebody was asking, you know, Dr. Wilson, was he dealing with any celebrities? And he said, you know, in the beginning, he said, but those are the last people I want to deal with. He said, they want your cell phone number. They're so entitled. They think they can just call you anytime they want. He said, I just would rather not deal with them. And then later on, somebody asked him, they said, so who is your target client? Like, who's your, your, your patient? You know what he said? I, I just absolutely love this. And everybody standing around, their jaw just kind of dropped and they had no idea what to say. Remember, they were just asking about, are you treating celebrities? And when they asked him what his um, typical client was, he looked at me and he smiled and he said, a 62-year-old truck driver. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, we are, oh we are his number one referral source. So his, his practice is he, he really, and he loves it. I mean, he was bragging about it. These people were looking at him like, what? Are you insane? He absolutely loves mm -hmm. it. Though. Yeah, it was very cool. Well, you know, I've talked to several people in my office that uh, they followed your diet and they dropped a hundred pounds. So, pretty I mean, it's worked. All right, let's get back yeah. to some calls. Let's go to Indiana. Michael, welcome to the program. Good afternoon. I have a 2022 Freightliner 114 SD. And I'm trying to come up with a way to connect the scan gauge KR to this truck. It has, the truck has the newer nine pin green. The connector cable has the older black. Do you guys have any recommendations for an adapter to use and will running that damage the unit or the truck? So I'm not sure. Um, Leroy, which connector is this? Uh, it's the 910 connector that goes from the scan gauge to the truck. Yeah, the truck has the new CAN 500, and the connector is the older style. I'm, unless this is 
something we haven't dealt with. A couple other trucks have converted to this over the years. There is a, we can get you a cord and adapter through linear logic directly. Okay, so I just contact them? Um, contact us. It'll probably be easier. Contact you? Yeah. Okay. You know what? As a matter of fact, um, you won't have to contact us when we're done with the call. If that's all you've got, or if there's more when we're done, I'll put you back in the queue and Angie will pick you back up and take care of it. Yeah, that sounds fair enough. Uh, I just had one quick question about the catalyst. Uh, when you guys are dosing that for gasoline and like smaller two cycle operations, what dosage are you based going off of on that? Like instead of milliliters, it's one cc or one milliliter per gallon. That's what I thought. All right, that's all I got. All right. So, so I overtreated my Audi one day. I overtreated my A8L Audi, and I could feel the ECM cut me back. So we ran the next tank full without it, and it reset. I did take it to the Audi dealer. They found no codes, no check engine lights, and I'm back on now. What a difference in that that car, and that's a 21, 2021, 450 horsepower twin turbo. And the catalyst just really changed the low-end response of that vehicle. Excellent. All right, Michael. I'm well, I'll tell you if you... Oh, sorry, Michael. I put you back in the queue. Uh, Angie's going to... Wait, wait. Go ahead. Wait, he had something to say there. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to no, bring him back. Michael had something to say. All right, Michael, I jumped the gun there. I was putting you in the queue while you were talking. Go ahead. <laughs> You're good. It's all good. I was going to say, if you run the listing in a carrying heater, you have to adjust the pressure down a little bit or else it gets a little uh, sparky. When Brian Stoll, the- our catalyst dealer in Wisconsin, had put in a kerosene heater and he couldn't get the flame to go out. <laughs> I can see it. So, if you have a fuel oil furnace, by all means, you want to put the catalyst in there. If you have one of those torpedo space heaters in your garage that burns kerosene or diesel fuel, put the catalyst in it. It'll be much cleaner. That's what it was. There we go. All right. Okay. All right, all right Michael, I'm putting you back in the queue this time. Hey, Bruce, I've got a story about those kind of heaters. Uh, in the Army, when, when we would go out in the field and we'd set up, you know, big tents that might sleep 15 to 20 people, um, we had these heaters and they had carburetors in them and you would use kerosene or it, and it would just drip in through the carburetor and you'd kind of adjust it and then it would burn and... Um, because we were a, a helicopter battalion, we would have to take an oil sample or a fuel sample every day. You had a pet cock down underneath the helicopter and you'd just stick a glass jar under there and you'd take a sample and you were looking for water. And, you know, you really, once you put it in the bottle and you're out in the field, it's like, what am I going to do with this? And you don't really want to dump it on the ground. A lot of people did. Um, but I said, Look, you know, instead of dumping it on the ground, just walk over to one of the heaters that are on every tent around here and just dump your fuel sample into there. It's just a little bit of jet fuel. It'll be fine. And we had done it, you know, several times on 
on different trips out to the field. And this one time, I don't know what happened, but everybody must have started dumping their, their fuel sample into the same heater. And it was the tent I was in. We woke up one night at about two o'clock in the morning and it was like a sauna in there. And the stove pipe was <laughs> glowing red. And when you went outside, there were flames shooting out the top of the stovepipe. I think we got a little too much jet fuel in there. <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah. I wonder what Catalyst would have done for that. Let's, uh, let's go to Kansas. Patrick, welcome to the program. Hey, guys. Good morning. Uh, hey, Kevin, you'd have been pissed off if you'd have been in Missouri. Would have been in Montana looking for you to freight, you know. So, uh oh, you were breaking up. Say that again. Oh, I said mad if you'd have been in Missouri and he'd have been in Montana trying to deliver freight to Missouri. <laughs> so it, it, yeah, it is a, a good big point. difference. So, yeah. <laughs> hey, uh, so I got uh, 07 NXS. We put the tune in it. Um, getting getting over seven now with that, uh, with the cat three thirty sixes, And I'm thinking about going to a two forty six or a two sixty four. Two forty seven or two sixty four. Yeah. Yeah. So you, if you're going to have low pro 22 fives, if you go to two forty seven at 65 miles an hour, you'll be at 1375 RPM. Okay. By the way, that's that is how the new Walmart trucks are geared. Two forty sevens. Is that right? Yeah. So with this cat being tuned at uh, at, at JR's um, brainwave at seven hundred plus and about twenty five hundred foot pounds, where where do we think that that you know what what does that do for us at the end of the day? for takeoff ability and, and those kind of things going in. Uh, that's, yeah, with the torque we have, the start ability is no problem. Uh, what speed does this guy want to drive this truck? Well, it's me. And I, oh, it's I, you. I, I, I typically don't drive. I typically don't drive past about 70 unless I need to get around somebody, and then I get right back on the cruise. So right now then, it's sixty five. It's sixty five in the big hole on a thirteen speed with three thirty sixes. I am at according to the scan gauge, and that's the Kevin Rutherford edition, uh, thirteen twenty seven on the RPMs. Yeah, see, so you see how close the two forty seven is to the three thirty six. Remember my formula: take take your gear ratio and subtract ninety. And that'll put you about where you are going to be, but in direct gear. And when you're in direct gear with that cat, you'll see 80 more horsepower and 240 more foot-pound of torque. So put the 247s. Now, the 247s may require different uh, housings because they're larger. But check and see. Get your differential numbers and see if the 247s will fit in there. And I've already and I've already done that. They told me I could go down to two twenty something. I can't remember what that number was. I got it wrote, written down at the house. And who who told you that? Eaton Fuller. Good. Put the two forty sevens in and get back to us. You're gonna love that. Okay. 
I'll do it. With this current price of fuel, I think it'll pay for itself pretty fast. Well, especially being you're right on Interstate 80 in Wyoming, you know, everybody there is 80 plus, so especially guys heading east. Yeah, but you can't, you can't find, you, you can't find a tire out there that's rated for that kind of, that kind of speed. You know, I, I, I agree, but you know, every, every time I come off your continental divide there and I'm heading east, uh, uh, and I'm doing 70 or so, I mean, I make sure I stay in that right lane because, um, I get blown by. Yeah, I hear you. Okay, guys, that's all I had today. So uh, you guys have a good day. Appreciate you. All right. Thanks for the call. Bruce, you know, he, he just brought up another point. We've talked about this in a lot of different ways, but um, he's correct. Most Class 8 truck tires are not even rated for the kind of speeds we see them being run, you know, all day long out in the West, out in the heat. And we don't see any problems. We've talked about how how there's so much built into those limits, you know, whether it's the torque on a transmission or that any halfway decent driver can exceed almost every limit they put on this stuff and never see a problem. That's right. Um, but if I was driving and it was 95 or more temperature and it, I, it was 80,000 or more, I would think about it. I, I, I would, uh, well, you know me, I just don't think there's any reason to drive those kind of speeds out there, but it's just a, a good yeah. illustration of we exceed those tire speed limits constantly and we never see a problem. Have uh, you ever taken and seen how many minutes it would take to go several hundred miles at 65 versus 70 versus 75? I, I do it. it just when every time I drive, even today, I still do it. Uh, I do the math in my head all the time, even though I drive 60 just about everywhere I go. One of the reasons I drive 60 now instead of 57 is the math is so much easier. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, one of, I actually, I, I, I discourage people from doing that math because the math never works in the real world. You know, if we sat down and we said, okay, you're going from the East Coast to the West Coast and you could you could either do 70 or you could do 60. When you do the math, you'd look at it and go, oh, well, I'm going to do 70. It's a big, big time difference by the time you get to the West Coast. And I think that's the mistake people make is they just do, do it as pure math. But what we've found over the years is that the faster your top speed is, the bigger the differential between your top speed and your average speed is going to be. And all that really matters is your average speed, not your top speed. So if you take somebody running 60 or when I used to run 57 everywhere, that number, that top speed is going to be very close to your average speed. But the faster you go, the bigger that spread gets. So all you're doing is going really fast at some points and you end up going to go slower at other points, and your average is what matters, and it just doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I got to say, when I get on an interstate, and I see a truck way up ahead of me, and I set my cruise at 80, and I never catch him, that's <laughs> great. However, 
<laughs> I love it. However, guys that are running a steady 70 uh, and say they can't go slower, if you just try it for a day, try 65, you'll find it's a little more relaxing. 75 versus 65 is so much more relaxing. I was on Interstate 70 yesterday going out to Eagle Vale to drop off a rental car and um, I had slowed down to 65 speed limit was 75. Debbie was following me in the audience. Uh, she called me. She said, why are you going so slow? I said, well, this uh, board escape that I was in, it, it was more comfortable at 65 than 75. And yeah. plus I had time to kill and I was just relaxed. And she just couldn't get over that. I, I was going 65 in a 75 zone. But, uh, you know, the, the method I used to use people, and I should probably bring this back. Um, we talk about cruise control and there's a lot of times you shouldn't be using cruise control, but there's also a lot of time where you can. And we've got a lot of pretty long straight level roads where cruise control is more efficient because it's, it's more consistent. But I'll tell people when you normally set your cruise, what speed is it? And, and they might say, you know, 72 or 73 or whatever. And I'll say, here's the only change I want you to make. Today, instead of seven, setting the cruise at 73, if that's your number, set it at 72 and put a reminder in your phone for two weeks. And then two weeks from now, change that number to 71. And you will never notice the difference. And that you can work your way right down to whatever speed you want and it's not aggravating you actually start to relax and, and enjoy the ride a little more and you're saving money. So what if it takes you a couple months to get down? It's better than never slowing down. I actually told guys, try two to three mile per hour. If you're 75, go to 72. If you're yeah. 70, go to 67, 68 and work your way down. Once you get used to that five mile an hour slower, listen to the truck, listen to the sound of the engine and when you do then go back up, you'll say, wow, what a difference in noise. Good point. Now, when you go to the 264s or 247s or 228s and you're running in direct, the noise difference isn't as great. Yeah. Because yep. you're not turning all those extra gears in the transmission. There you go. So. All right. Let's grab another call. Let's go to Indiana this time. Mark, welcome to the program. Excuse me. I'm having an issue with my odometer. <clears throat> Sorry. Um, it's coming out a lot less. I, I'm on a dedicated run. I've been doing this run for five years. So I know what my mileage is at certain points on my route. And right now, my round trip, I'm coming out 40, 50 miles less than what I always have. Well, that's screwed up my fuel mileage and fuel gauges. You know, and the only thing I can think of is I changed drive tires about a month and a half ago, but they're 22.5 low pro, same thing I had on there. So any ideas why it would have changed? Anybody have any thoughts? Um, I, I didn't really quite hear a lot of that. I don't know if it, it was our end or something. No, it, it is a... Uh, Kind of a, a difficult line to hear. Mark, can you, uh, if you're on a headset, can you switch to a phone or? Yeah, 
And now I, I totally couldn't understand you that time. It got worse instead of better. I just went past the cell tower. Hey, hey, Mark, I'm, I'm going to put you back in the queue. Um, Angie, if you could pick Mark back up and see if we can figure out a way that uh, we can get him on a better line. Um, might have to hold on a second because Angie looks like she's really busy screening calls. Uh, I, I, I wasn't really able to hear him very well there either. Uh, so we're kind of in limbo here for just a second. Uh, anybody want to do a little song and dance to keep us entertained while we're waiting? Pete would love to. Pete? <laughs> no, not really. All right. Nope. Not really. But, you know, I had a cruise control, so I use it in my car. And mostly it's to keep from speeding. If you set it there, if you're not paying attention, it's easy to, you know, just go above the speed, like too far above the speed limit. And uh, it would be nice if you could, you know, uh, inside the cab, limit your speed. You know, no one wants to be limited to 65 or 70 or whatever. But for that moment, if, if I'm in a construction zone and, you know, it fines are doubled and it's, you know, 45, it'd be nice to be able to limit your speed to 45. 46 that way you don't have to pay attention and you can't speed that's kind of being lazy no you know so i don't have to pay attention while you're driving a semi-truck <laughs> in a trailer <laughs> well when i'm in the truck the pickup in the trailer i watch the, the speed uh, especially construction zones because the fines double and i don't feel like getting a you know hefty fine for you know, doing 50 in a, you know, 45 or whatever construction zone. So I really watch my speed, but it'd be nice if I didn't really have to watch it. Just yeah. the truck won't go any faster. Hey, hey, Leroy, you know, there's another way we could look at that. We could look at it as though if that's one less thing I have to pay attention to, then I can focus on safe driving more. Right, safe driving as in paying attention to the construction zone and that you need to slow down. <laughs> right, exactly. So, Pete, um, there isn't any reason why they couldn't program that into the trucks we have today. I have a vehicle. Well, as we start to get some of these new technologies that are coming on board with, with some of the autonomous, so one of my vehicles reads the speed limit signs on the side of the road, and I have a feature that I can turn on that it won't allow the vehicle to go any faster than the speed limit sign it's reading. That'd be a nice feature, man. I don't, I don't drive fast normally, um, with the exception of coming back from a truck show and I want to get home. But most of the time, I'm doing a speed limit a little bit over. I, I would like that feature. I'm sure a lot of people want. I don't think Bruce would, but I, I'd like that. Hey, well, Kevin, we have to clarify something. When Pete leaves the shop after 10 hours of being on the phone and in the summer, his left arm's out the window, nobody wants to be behind him because it's about 35 miles an hour. <laughs> so, yeah. Hey, yeah, this is true. I, you know, I'm, I'm kind of the same way. I take Pete, Pete's aging before. They, they say drive like an old man, but I've been driving like that since I was 20. It's my quiet time. You know, there's no phones. No one's calling me. No one's bothering me. 
Just put the radio on. You know, that's nice out the windows down, not paying attention. <laughs> that's driving, <laughs> driving 30 miles an hour. <laughs> you don't have to pay attention as much when you're going slower. Exactly. Things happen slower at that point. That's right. Zone out for a little bit. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> I need more features <laughs> to help me pay attention. Not pay attention. <laughs> All right, we're gonna we're gonna go back to the phones. Let's see. We must not have been able to fix the phone line because I see that call's gone. Maybe we'll try to get him back. Let's go to Michigan. Brian, welcome to the program. Hello, Kevin and Bruce, or the whole Pittsburgh Power Team. Brian from Michigan. What's on your mind today? Um, can you? Yeah, okay, it was perfect, a kind of a coincidence that the gentleman called in asking about re-gearing to the 264s or 247s in his, uh, I think that was a, with a cat. Um, I'm in the process of doing the same thing. I have a 2WS cat in at 2000 Kenworth, and I purchased, I have a cutoff off of a 2017 with... 264s and disc brakes. So we are cutting off the old eight bag suspension and putting in welding up this cutoff that has the 264 gear ratios. And this cutoff came with the yoke was still on front differential. So we were trying to uh, install the current the OEM drive line that the Kenworth came with to this differential and we discovered that it was the incorrect yoke so we reached out to Dana Spicer and we were trying to find the correct yoke for that gear ratio to match up to this to this certain U-joint number it was a U-joint 567X and they informed me that they do not make a yoke to match up to that U-joint. And I am going to be, ha- I'm, I will have to build a whole new drive line. And it needs to be an SPL 250 drive line to take the high torque that is, uh, that will be coming through that drive line to gear to feed the 264. So I just thought I would share that information to that gentleman that is looking at re-gearing that um, there's probably a very high chance that he will have to uh, redo a, the drive line as well. You know, I, it's the first time I've heard that because we have, I bet we've got 30 some people that have gone to the 264s that I know of and never heard that they had to redo the drive shaft. Well, that's why I thought it was kind of strange myself, but it was directly from yeah. the Dana engineer, and he explained that that uh, that gear ratio is designed to be in, it, it, he said it's designed to have a direct gear feeding it, which has a higher torque rating. So... I mean, yeah. yeah. Well, you you'll be you'll be in direct gear when you run the two sixty four. Here's what I here's yep. what I don't understand about that. I I have a feeling this may be some of these limits that we talk about that don't really matter much in the real world. Take the typical truck running down the road that's got 
two overdrive gears, probably the most common. When is the time that we're putting the most torque on the driveline? It's either when we're accelerating through the gears or when we hit a big hill and we start downshifting. And typically, you're probably going to end up in either direct or a lower gear at the time where you're putting the most torque to the driveline. So how does that make any sense? That that drive shaft or that driveline should be designed to handle as much torque as the, the engine is putting out at any time. So if you, if you have a right, truck that, that runs that, in direct all the time, so what? Most of the time, there's hardly any torque on the driveline anyway. It would be nice. Do you have that engineer's name? I'd like to call him and get him on the show and yeah. explain that to us. Yeah, that doesn't make any sense to me uh, at all. Uh, and we know in the real world, we've never practiced that. Like Bruce said, they know of at least 30. There's probably people listening to this show right now in the hundreds that have made that change. Right, and that's what kind of got me confused or a little puzzled because I was sitting there thinking of the callers, and the only one that I could think of that I knew that calls in on a regular basis is Matt from Minnesota, and the only thing that I maybe thought was different about his truck is I think he has a factory C16, so his truck might have came with an SPL. Well, Matt, Where I, Matt hasn't came had as that. a 475 cat. Yeah, Matt hasn't had that C16 for years. He built another truck several years back. But um, I, I can promise you that we've converted many, many trucks over the years and never changed the driveline. And again, the whole point is really? it, that that truck doesn't run in an overdrive gear all the time. It, it runs in underdrive gears as it's going through the, the acceleration and the underdrive gears are torque multipliers. Okay. Well, yeah, so I got thinking along that same lines, and coincidentally, I had that Kenworth into Pittsburgh Power, and we put it on the dyno about a year and a half ago. I went back and I looked at my dyno, and it was doing 525 horsepower at... at 1,750 foot-pounds of torque at 1,450 RPM, which is where I'm going to be driving down the road at. Yeah, well, you know, it, I, I, I'd love to get this guy on the air and have him explain this to us, because to me, you know what this sounds like? This sounds like what we were just talking about earlier, that drivers and owner-operators only look at that gear ratio the rear end gear ratio as the end all be all totally ignoring the fact that we have 10 gears or 12 gears or 13 gears or 18 gears that are torque multipliers or torque reducers. So if he's saying, well, we have to have this drive shaft to handle this torque. Well, the drive shaft that's in the truck has been subjected to that torque forever. And they do just fine. We're not changing anything as far as that goes by going to a different gear ratio or running in direct. Gear ratio. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's my point. Is, yeah, you know, like, like I said, we had that dyno, and this is where I'm going to be, and this is what the numbers are, and it worked fine for the last 20 years. I mean, that's a, what, what gear ratio do you currently have? Uh, 
it, it came with a, a 355. 355. So the 264 will be the same speed, same RPM, but one gear lower. So, yeah. So, so I got a, mm -hmm. I got a message here from Joel to add to this, and and this probably makes sense, and this is probably where the engineer is coming from. Um, if we start talking about aggressive rear end ratios, you know, getting down into the really low twos. Um, He's saying that doing that aggressively could reduce a standard driveline's life by 35%. And that may be. But honestly, the standard drivelines are lasting a million plus miles easily, in my experience, sometimes two million miles. We talk about replacing or rebuilding drivelines before that. So it may just be a matter of Again, it comes down to these numbers that the engineers use, but in the real world, that just doesn't have that big of an impact on us. Okay. Well, as of now, I am struggling to locate a yoke that will take a Spicer U-joint number 5677X that is 49 splines. They're telling me it doesn't exist. Huh. So, if anybody can give me any, any insight, I'm open ears. I would take the drive shaft to a drive shaft shop, take them your yoke, and let them put a, redo the drive shaft because you're supposed to do it every 500,000, but nobody does. But have them straighten it and balance it and rebuild it and put the U-joint in that you're going to need to match. And if they have to change the, what do I want to say, what, what do we want to call it, the yoke on the back of the drive shaft, they can, they yeah. can weld that new section in there. So, I mean, I, I kind of feel like that's kind of cobblish to put a new yoke on no. one end of the drive shaft, but... It's, no, no, absolutely not. That's not a that's not cobble. God, when I when I put a a um, C series Cummins into a 1961 Galleon Grader, I couldn't get a flywheel that would accept the clutch, so I took the clutch disc off the 1961 Galleon, and we machined off everything except where the clutch plate would ride and then we took the new flywheel and we machined a dish out of it and we made it a three or four thousandths interference fit so then we heated the flywheel and cooled the piece that was going to go in and then we drilled and tapped it with eight grade eight bolts and that wasn't cobbled and that worked great engineers told me i couldn't do that i said why can't i bolt a friction face to a flywheel if a flywheel is bolted to a crankshaft and by taking your drive shaft and putting a new yoke on the end of it to meet the yoke that's going to go in your differential, there's nothing wrong with that. So at that point, I'm, I'm going to be welding on a new yoke at the end of the drive shaft to match up to the front tip. And then I'm going to have to add, we will be adding six inches to the middle drive shaft because I changed the wheelbase. So I'm two thirds there of a whole new drive shaft. 
Okay, well then, just have them build you a new drive shaft. Those yeah. drive shaft tubes aren't that expensive. So, yeah. I mean, seeing you change the wheelbase, you gotta you gotta build a drive shaft anyway, so it doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're right. We're we're there. Um, I, but yeah, that was kind of. I just thought I'd share that's the experience that I'm going through with with all of this, and it was kind of unexpected. Mm-hmm. But um, got it. But that's kind of what I'm what I'm what's happening in my. <laughs> So, okay, got it. You know, Bruce, here, here's how I would approach this. Um, there's the engineering numbers, and we talk about them all the time, and there's a lot of leeway in there, and then there's the real world. And even if it turns out, you know, we should be going to different drive shafts if we're going to make this rear end change, clearly that's good to know if you're specking a new truck. And Hopefully the engineers are there and you spec the right drive shaft to go with the the setup you've got. But in the past, when we've talked about converting a six by four to a six by two and everybody, we started talking about, well, technically, if you're running a single drive axle, you should be using the 23,000 pound differential, not the 20,000 pound. And, and that's absolutely correct. My point was, if right. you're if you're building a new truck, of course that's what you would go with. But if you're converting a truck, why go buy a twenty three thousand pound axle? I've already got the twenty thousand. Why don't I just leave it in there and watch it like I should be anyway? Oil sample once in a while, pay attention to it, and if I start to wear it out, I could go get one then. But why do it when I make the conversion when I have a part that works? It'd be the same thing here. We recommend right. rebuilding or replacing your drive shaft anyway, but why not just use the one you've already got and just keep an eye on it? And if you start to see yeah. where, well, then go ahead and replace it then. Yeah. Let's talk about torque, horsepower, and pulling a load that won't move. Back in the mid-'80s when we got into semi-truck pulling up through the mid-'90s, we never built heavier drive shafts. We used any rear end that came in the truck. We used any transmission, whether it's a 10-speed, 13-speed. And we were making 1,200 horsepower out of big cams. We were turning 2,800 RPM. And at the end of that 300-foot track, the left front wheel's a foot in the air, the sled's not moving, and the tires are spinning, and yet never broke drive shafts, transmissions, rear ends. Yeah. Now, when you take a, a, a 3406E cat or a C15 cat and you take it well above 1,200 horsepower, now we have to build a special clutch, and we build it with a lipe to take that. And yet we still run stock drive trains. And uh, I think Jerry Herhogger is now approaching 3,000 horsepower out of his cat in a 1973 Kenworth. And I don't know if he's gone to a much heavier drive shaft or not. So this stuff is drastically overrated. And I'll tell you another one. Our overhead cranes that we use to pull engines out, um, if it's rated for 3,500 pounds, it'll pick up 7,000. They rate them at half of what they'll do. And we tested it. We were we were pulling out a 1710 uh, a V12 Cummins, and we had to take it off a trailer. And 
I think we had, Pete, wasn't that crane 1,500 pounds and we picked up that 5,000 pound engine or, and we were scared. I'll bet. But it did it. Yeah, I'll bet. Yeah, it was way, it was way under uh, rated for what we were doing. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I remember the so, of that crane. It's been a while. Nobody will, nobody will ever abuse their truck on the highway hauling freight like they get abused drag racing and sled pulling. Yeah. All right. And look how many people take their work truck and go sled pulling. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> let's, uh, let's go to Atlanta. Eric, welcome to the program. Yes, I have a quick question about Echo Cures. I recently bought two of them. Uh, one for C15 and one for ISX15. What's the mileage interval for changing the factory filter? All right. Could you the Echo Pro, you're talking about the far air cleaner? No, the, no I'm the talking about the Echo Pure, the oil. Spin on oil. The bypass. Now, I know what the interval is for the bypass filter. That's 25,000, so, but the uh, factory filter like on the ISX-15 is one of them, and the other one we put. I have another truck with uh, that we've had for years with Gulf Coast, and they say change the cap filter every 30,000, but I didn't know so, what the fact uh, I'll give would you be with the echo history on this. And honestly, if you look at the Gulf Coast filter, and they want you changing that filter every 10,000 miles, which is, seems insane Correct. to me. And you're putting in two and a half gallons of oil sometimes every 10,000 miles. Now they want you to change the full flow every 30. There is zero savings to that system. It, it might keep well, we, oil really we, clean, we but it's bought, not saving you any money while it does it. It gets really expensive. Here's our experience with, well, the, with the OPS going all the way back to the beginning. The very first OPS I put on, I can remember asking Tom Bach, Tom, when should I change my full flow filters? And his answer back then was mark it on the calendar and change them once a year. And he said they, they're doing almost nothing. And every year is enough to keep, you know, them from deteriorating over time. And we did that for years, never had a problem. Um, later on, I think they changed that recommendation to every six months. Or it was it was actually every other change of the the OPS, which was twenty five thousand. So it was twenty five thousand on the OPS, fifty thousand on the full flow, which is close enough to me okay. twice a year. Throw mark it on the calendar and change it twice a year is the way I did it forever. Right. Okay. I, I mean, I probably could find this information on somebody's website but i was too lazy to look it up it was easier uh, well, it, to call honestly you might but. not you might spend all day trying to find that on the internet and never find it so i'm glad you called me. <laughs> but uh, hey. the, i'm uh, glad to hear you say that because um a lot of people say to me well look it up i said i'll just make a phone call and find exactly out. well i'm sitting here listening to the show so it's easier for me i we just recently installed one on the isx 15 and one on a c15 uh, they recently, so we probably don't even have 10,000 miles on that system. So, uh, the one driver that we put it on the C15 was just asking me about it. I'm like, I don't know. I know it's 30,000 on the Gulf Coast, so we'll see. 
the but, the, uh, the very first it's truck. pretty steep to run that Gulf Coast. I mean, you go to Walmart and buy the filters, you know, the bounty paper towels and slide them in there. But <laughs> it's just a mess. That's it, it, it's a one mess of my main reasons. It doesn't reasons. save any money it, or time. That that was my biggest problem with this. It wasn't saving money or time. It was keeping oil clean, but it was a mess. It was inconvenient and it was expensive. Um, and the whole point for me of a bypass filter is to save some money. I mean, it's kind of the point. Why do we keep throwing away good oil? The very first truck I ever put in was a, a D-Deck 2, I think. Um, I kept that truck to 1.3 million miles. The OPS filter, uh, no, I'm sorry, the oil, the oil itself on that truck, I changed the OPS filter every 25,000. The oil on that truck had only been changed four times in 1.3 million miles. Four oil changes on the entire life of the truck. Yeah, I brought, 1.3 million I, I doubt miles. I could bring myself. And it either had. I doubt I could bring myself to do that. It, it either right. had four or five full flow filter changes because I kept the truck just a little over four years. Um, we the, we had a team run on that truck, so well, maybe it must have been five. It was a little over five years I kept it, um, so it it probably had five full flow filters in its entire life. Right. So what I was told about the rolls of paper towel, and this was back in the eighties, was that they're not wound tight enough, and the oil will channel through it. And most of it won't be filtering because it's just going to bypass the paper towels because it's going to push it aside. And the same oh. thing in the original Luberfiner that had hickory wood chips. They said that they would channel. So we cut some of those apart, and they were right. You could see where the oil channeled through the wood chips. But on the Gulf Coast filter, what I can tell you, when you replace it at 10,000 miles and the oil is black and you run that thing 500 miles and you pull the dipstick out when it's hot, you can see the writing through the oil again. So it, it's got to be cleaning to a certain yeah, that's, extent. I've never heard that, so that's nice. That's good news. I like hearing that. Right, right. But uh, to me, it's just uh, the mess involved and everything. And, and it, it, not only that, these newer trucks are getting tight for space. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and it helped the the OPS was that was our main thing that it was easier to hide so and put in a place where we could actually service it so it's uh, we got them both we got two of them on we just recently purchased from Pittsburgh Power and uh, yeah so but yeah, I just recently got that IX-15 and I'm going broke buying all the upgrades from Pittsburgh Power on that thing so yeah, you know, either the dampeners and Whatever yeah, works out so. better in your operation, either mark it on the calendar and just spin a new filter on every six months or do it every other OPS service. Yeah, that's what I'll do. Um, I, uh, you know, in the defense of the other filter too, you know, when you take the valve covers off, the motors that have, you know, you look at the parts, you know, your rocker arms and everything's clean compared to a motor that doesn't run a bypass filter that has like that tarnish or whatever on it. So I don't know what you call it, probably car. So there's no question. I am a huge believer in bypass filtration, have been forever. 
So I've always made the statement, you should run any bypass filter rather than not Dude, run one at all. True. But since we're doing the work yep. and the research and trying to make things better, why not make it as good as we possibly can? And honestly, that filter is just like 50 years out of date. Seriously, it's just never, they never updated it. They The OPS went through several changes in filter types, better filter technology. Then they went to the spin-ons. I mean, it's just been a constant improvement over the years. The spin-on thing is a selling point for me. Cause that's just, it's quick. It's not messy. Exactly. You're not right. running, you know, depending on your location. Uh, yeah. You don't need a, you don't need a uh, inch and a half wrench to break the lid loose and, you know, big wrench and <laughs> right. yada, yada. But, <laughs> but uh, that was my, you know, that was, that was my complaint on Harvard's. I mean, I love the filter. It's just, boy, what a what a mess when you go to change it. And then you got to get paper towels and go down and clean out the old oil. And uh, yeah, it, it's a well, job. And I have them on I have them on a boat, and I do have to do that once a year. And it's hot down in there, and I have to wear long sleeves, rubber gloves to try to get the oil out of the bottom because it doesn't always drain out. And now I have two filters sitting in my garage that are just soaked with oil and I was planning on burning them this winter on a, making a bonfire and throwing them on there because there's well, a tremendous you know, amount of paper. When, you, when you're required to mop the floor in your shop at home after every service and stuff because you have OCD, you know, you don't want a big mess. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, uh, all right, I won't hold you up. Carry on. I'm, uh, I'm. I saved a lot of money canceling all my satellite radio subscriptions after you got the boot. So well, there you it go. Was, uh, it was helpful. Just, but just, thanks a lot. I appreciate the info. You're welcome. Just one more way we're able to save you money. We love that. Let's uh, let's go to Oklahoma. Okay, Kevin. Let me ask you a question. Go ahead. I was talking to Sirius yesterday. I was talking to Sirius yesterday, and uh, I told him talking to him about what happened and told him how unhappy I was. And and if they called you and wanted you to go back on, would you? Bruce, not no, but hell no. Okay. All right. Okay. Then I won't talk to them anymore. <laughs> yeah. yeah, don't. don't I, I won't speak on your behalf. <laughs> no, I don't, I don't. You know, even when, uh, when they canceled me and we started getting, you know, all kinds of people saying, if they canceled you, we're canceling them. And, and I said, stop, don't do that because of me. I'm not even canceling my subscription. I like the service. It's fine. And, and nobody needs to go do any kind of campaign here, here. You know, there's two reasons, really, why I say hell no. Um, one, just because of the way they did it, you know, 15 years with them. I started on, you know, weekends only. They liked my show enough that they moved me to seven days a week back then. I still had weekends and midnights, but then eventually they moved me to the primetime slot and after all of that, I, all I get is a text message and a phone call and I'm done. And I, I didn't have a chance to explain myself, nothing. I was just done. So first off, the way they handled it, 
hell no. I do not want to be associated with a company that can't do things more business-like. And second off, the really the bigger reason I wouldn't do it, I love this so much better. Screw them and all their breaks and rules and schedules. And I, I love this. We go as long as we want. We don't do commercials. I can create whatever show I want. So, yeah, there's no way I'm going back. Well, you knew who did that to me was Landline Magazine, O-O-I-D-A. I was their number one read article, and so many people would tell them at the truck shows that they get the magazine, they read Bruce's article, and then they throw the magazine away, and then they cancel me, and I got one phone call saying, you can't write about what you do, and you're off, you're out. Yeah. And when I started with them, they were like 34 or 38 pages, and when they canceled me, we were up to like 158 pages. And that's that was the thanks that I got. Yeah. And yet Jim Johnson, whenever I would stop in their place in Grain Valley, Jim Johnson, I think he's passed away now, he came out of his office to shake my hand and thank me for the articles. Yeah. And, and that, that's a gratitude you get sometimes. And that was, uh, I was, uh, anyway. Yep. Yep. So, no, we're, uh, we're not going back to... Look, the, the only way I would ever go back, and I'm not even sure if I would do it then. Think about our lineup right now, the, the lineup we have of shows. You know, we have two days that it's just a free-for-all. It's just me. We've got this show, which is wildly popular. Uh, tomorrow's Destination Health, which is really big. Um, Thursday, we have Rolling Toe. Friday, we have uh, Trucking Technology and Efficiency, which is getting really popular the only way I would even think about it, well, no, I still wouldn't do it. Um, give me the whole okay. damn channel. It, just let me run the channel. I'll build shows and programs that really matter to the trucking industry instead of half the garbage they have on there now. Yeah, and there is a lot of garbage on 146. Yeah, yeah. So, is it 146 or 146? I tried, I tried listening to it a couple times, and I, I, I couldn't listen to it. Yeah, so we're 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 building the real trucking channel here. That's right. I, oh, my turn Paul, now? I for, Paul, I forgot. I I brought you on there and then forgot you were sitting there. Glad you spoke. That's up. right. Yeah, well, I, well, I was I was gonna say, I hope you don't go back to Road Dog because what you have now is way better. There's no commercials and, and you tend to get cut off less. <laughs> and look, and look at our, oh, how much break. our app yep. is and our on-demand system. So yep. they had an on-demand, their app kind of sucked, and the shows were only there for a week at most, and sometimes shows just didn't get posted at all. Now, every show we yep. do is recorded. And you can listen to it forever. And they canceled you because they didn't like something you said. So they canceled you because of free speech. You're right. Yeah. And and I've always said that is their prerogative. This isn't a true free speech issue because our free speech really only applies to the government. We don't we don't allow our government to tell us what we can say and not say. Private companies, I, yep. I absolutely believe they have they have the right to do that if they want. They had the right to cancel me. And they did. And they did. And that's yep. fine. We'll move on and we'll go do our own thing. Yeah, and we made it better. So there you go. Um, 
So, Bruce, you, you, eventually you'll get a spam call. It'll be someone about your extended warranty on your Audi. <laughs> They'll find your number <laughs> eventually. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. I usually don't buy extended warranties, so. No, but neither do I, but they'll call you. <laughs> I, uh, um, I'm, I'm, I'm gentle. I'm not saying that I'm slow, but I'm gentle. I, uh, whenever I'm leaving a traffic light or a stop sign, I'm usually one of the last people to leave. God, I, I see loaded diesel pickup trucks pulling heavy trailers, and they walk off and leave me. So, yep. so the, the rear end ratio, i got 308 at the moment. So you yeah, but no, we got to we got to we got to say this. You've got tiny little tires, so yeah, yeah. So would the, which, would the take the ninety off? Would that still be the same? With yeah, the yeah. Rubber? Take the ninety off. Now we'll put you so at two twenty eight. Two one eight. So tell me, with your tire size and your three oh eights, what's your RPM at sixty five? Uh, 62 on 1360, but hang on a minute. I'll tell you, 65. 1360. So 1360. That's at 62. 62, yeah. At 62. Um, if I get 247 is 1375 at 65. Uh, let me speed up because I don't normally run 65. That's fairly fast. So, but I, you talk about. Uh, that video, I I saw that video. You blowing by another, another one. You were going about eighty. <laughs> yeah, well, I, was in a, I was in a hurry to get on vacation. I had to get to the. I had to get, get up to go to New Zealand. So sixty-five, fourteen, fourteen hundred, fourteen hundred ten, in top gear, sixty-five. Yeah, yeah. So those those low tires on those car haulers make quite a difference. Yeah, yeah. So I think you'd like the two. I think you'd like the two twenty eights, maybe the two seventeens or whatever the next number down is. Yeah. So would that still fit in the same housing? Or would I have to find that. I don't. I don't know. You're going to have to do a little research there. So Bruce, maybe the might be money that I want to spend. The the one thing that would help people understand this whole driveline is is technically when we're talking about the driveline, we have three different sets of gears that all have to be calculated in. You have the gears in the transmission, you have the gears in the differential, and technically the tires are gears. They're it, the size of that tire is just like changing the size of another gear in the driveline somewhere. That's exactly right. You can, if you have low pro 225s and you buy a truck with 390s and you put 24.5 tall on, that's almost like going from 390s down to about a 336. Can be a pretty big difference sometimes. It is. I think my tire revolutions per mile, I think it's 589. That's that's one of the highest I've ever heard of for a drive tire. Average, right in the middle is about five hundred or so. The the um, tall twenty four fives go down to like four seventy, if I remember right. And a low pro twenty two five, which there are multiple sizes of low pro, but you're right in like the five twenty to five thirty range. 
And you're saying you're how high? 580 something? 589, I think. I think I found it one time. 589, I think. That, that, my tire and what, like 30, 37 and what's your, what's your tire size? 295.60. If you measure the height of your tire to a 22.5 low pro, how many difference, how many inches in height the difference is it? Well, my tire is like 30, just a smidgen over 37 inches tall, I think. But I'm not, I haven't had anything on just a regular low profile for 20 years. Yeah. I don't even know. So when you have like that Jeep, Jeep Grand Cherokee mounted above your cab, how high are you? Uh, oh, that Wrangler I had the other day, that was 13 foot 8. Was it 13 8. Yeah. So you can't go through, they won't let you through the Eisenhower Tunnel that way, will they? Oh, they will now, didn't used to, but you can be 14 foot, they'll let you through now. But they did, if you go over 13.6, they used to make you go round, so, yeah, but they'll let you through now. Bruce, what about the tunnels right there? Usually they come out and measure you, though. Yeah, I don't know what our Fort Pitt Tunnel and the Liberty Tubes are height-wise, I'll have to look. But I was going to Texas, so as long as I'm under 14 foot, we, I'm taking it. So, yeah. So, okay. So, uh, did, Kevin, do you know the height of a 22.5 low pro? I don't. No, I don't know any of those numbers. I, I could work it out roughly. Yeah, quickly. well, the, the, uh, the reason I never dealt with height probably was, five it was inches. Just, it was just always easier to look up the uh, the RPM on the tire and just because that's the number that has to go into the ECM. So I've just always dealt with that number. Yeah. All right, Paul, anything else? Hey, I'll just tell you the height of that of a 22.5 would be, be 40 inches tall, roughly. So I'm about three inches lower. That's a big difference. How can you figure that? How did you figure that out, Paul? How did you figure that out? Two hundred ninety-five millimeters is the width times seventy-five percent, which is the height of the sidewall. Double that because you have the height on the above the rim and below the rim, and then twenty-two and a half inches is five hundred seventy-one point five millimeters. Add that together. <laughs> Divide by 25.4, which is one inch, and that's about 40 inches. Oh, did you and get you that? did all that in your head, didn't you? <laughs> no, I had the calculator to add it together. So. Oh, you, are, you, are you driving right now? Yeah. You're driving and you mounted. did that. Calculator's mounted, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, yeah. I'll you, know, you, know, you know, Kevin, here's another saying. The road has always been a place to find the answers or ignore the questions. And there we just got the answer of a man driving down a highway, and look how he did that. There you go. That was pretty impressive. I might, I would have been more man. impressed if you would have figured out a way while you were driving to, to reach back there and actually measure it with the tape measure, but your way works. <laughs> I'll poke my metric ruler. <laughs> 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 right, I've, I've got to go now. I'm getting into traffic, so okay, thanks. 
Yeah. Hey, pay, hey, pay attention. Yeah. You need to be paying attention. Okay. You know what? You know me. Hey, Leroy. You know me. Yep. You know, since you were ragging on Pete so much about not paying attention when he drives, don't you have something to say about all that? Uh, yeah, you shouldn't be uh, using your calculator while driving. Those are some pretty complex <laughs> calculations, too. We had to convert from millimeters to inches and all kinds of crazy yeah. stuff. Yeah. God. I was thinking that thing. That was impressive. But you know what else is amazing, Kevin? You say to an owner-operator, a load pays this much going from here to here. He'll tell you within seconds what it pays per mile. And it's like their brains are calculators. And I, I sometimes just say, how did you figure that out so fast? What's this many miles across this state, so many miles across this state? And, you know, so it's, it's pretty amazing how these owner-operators' minds work. Bruce, you do the same stuff all the time with like horsepower calculations from Boost, and you just pull that stuff right off the top of your head. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. All right. But We're going to grab. I'm impressed when they tell me the cents, the cents per mile. Hey, by the way, you know what it costs to have a 37 foot boat hauled across the state of Florida? It's 13 wide. It's $8 a mile, and it only weighs 17,000 pounds. Sounds about right. Sounds about right. The, 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 the oversized stuff. That, you know, we used to do, uh, for a very short period of time, I had two partners. Um, this was way, way back when. And um, one of the partners was an agent, and he had always specialized in oversized. Um, the other partner had an 11 axle trailer and I had the office and everything else we needed. So I was involved in those kind of loads for, ah, it was about eight months or so. And I, you would not believe how long it would take sometimes to, to book those loads, to get all the permits, to get all the routing done. It's a lot of work. Yeah, I used to be with Bankart Heavy Hall, and I didn't really do the permits. Sometimes I had to go pick them up, but uh, that was back in 72, 73. But anyway, um, if I wanted to bring that 13-foot-wide boat across the state, if I did it at night, do you think I'd make it coming across Alligator Alley? Uh, I think it could be done. With no permits? I think it could be done. If I towed it with a one-ton pickup? Yeah. Yeah, why not? Put some flags on it. And what would ball. happen if they catch you? What would happen if they catch you? You know, most of that stuff, you could figure it out. Most of that stuff is really standard. I mean, somewhere in the in the rules, there's a ticket for that, and there's a fine for it. So you could probably figure out what it is. Wouldn't be that hard. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Charlie, what's on your mind today? Good, good afternoon. Got a question for Bruce and Pittsburgh Power. I know you all remember back in February, I rolled a set of bearings in my truck. 
Number five and number six main journals, the variance was war more. They're rebuilding the motor. The only counterboard that had to be cut was number five. When them bearings wore out, should I have just went ahead and rebuilt the motor at that time? Or what do you all think? Does, does the counterboard have anything to do with the bearings? Charlie, no, not really. Are you burning oil? I was. Number one cylinder was burning oil. Number six injector was sticking the exhaust back into the fuel lines and up and that's where my high soot came from. Because that was allowing the soot to come up by the injector. Hmm. Interesting. They actually broke two injector pulling tools when they pulled that one before they got that one out. Yeah. By the way, these speeds and RPM, I'm quoting people with the 264 gears. I'm looking at my chart on the wall, and it's your name, and it's the numbers that you gave me. So that's the Charlie Beiser numbers are speeds versus RPM. And then RPMs, speed came from the GPS, and the RPMs came from Kevin's skin gauge. Yeah, so... The mechanical gauges on the truck, as far as them two, I don't use. I use the scan gauge and the GPS because uh, RPM gauge is 75 RPMs off, according to the ECM. And the speedometer is about three miles an hour off, according to the GPS. Wow. Way I, I was just wondering. Is it, I was just wondering about it, that with the counterboard. Yeah, Pete, you don't think that has any thing to do with the bearing wear, the counterboard being down a couple thousands? No, because we see that all the time. You know, the piston's still going to go up the same uh, um, distance. The liner's down yeah. lower, so no, no effect on that at all. Okay, well, I was just wondering for future reference, uh, because like I say, number five and number six was the two main bearings that was wore the most, and seems like number five counterbore had to be cut. So I just wanted to make sure, so next time we pull it, pull it apart and the bearings is bad, I don't just throw bearings in it and then six months later, rebuild it. So that's why I was I wondering about that. Yeah, I don't think that's going to be an issue. Okay. But they they getting her back together. I hope we have it back on Friday. But when you were talking about parts availability, for that DDAC 5, there was only two cylinder kit, uh, rebuild kits available in the U.S. And they was lucky to get the one without having to piece it together piece by piece. So, and as far as the crate motor, because they checked on that, there's not even uh, EPA on a crate, uh, DDAC 5 crate motor. Wow. Yeah. Kind of scary. Sure is. 
Uh, our lives depend on trucks going up and down the highway and when there's a scarcity of parts. Yeah, that that really gets scary, but... Yeah. Okay, I was just curious about that because that's... I like to watch as much stuff and when I have an issue, I kind of like to ask the questions of why and get different opinions and that way I can keep it in my memory bank. There you go. You're good at asking those questions, Charlie. Yep, absolutely. All right, we uh, we're gonna wrap this up for the day. Anything uh, anybody wants to close with? Yeah, I want to say one thing. Marty, with the N14, whose wife makes the Riverside goat milk soap that I buy, I've misplaced her phone number and I can't seem to find it. So, Marty, please call me at the shop and give me your wife's phone number. There you go. Important business. Pete, Leroy. Kevin, I got off that soap for five days and the itch came back on the legs. So, Goat milk soap stuff is works. amazing. It's all I ever use. I mean, listen, listen to this. It's goat milk, olive oil, almond oil, lard, coconut oil, castor oil, and then some cleaning stuff. And this is like taking a bath in... Uh, HD 5W30. <laughs> it's great for the skin. That's right. That's right. Good stuff. Did you ever have your hands be really filthy and wash them in brand new clean oil? And that HD is high detergent, cleans your hands well. Well, look at all those different oils in there and what it does for your skin. Yeah. Good stuff. And I've been using that for four or five years. You know? There you go. Okay. All right. All right, Kevin. I think we're going to wrap this up. Thanks again, as always, to the team from Pittsburgh Power. We will see I think it was a good show. Next week, absolutely. Tomorrow, we've got uh, Dr. Wilson is going to be joining us. Bruce, you should, you should listen to that show. I'm sure it's going to be a good one. I want to. What time does he come on? Your uh, time? Right at the open. Right at uh, eight, 8 on the Pacific side of things and 11 on the, the other so side of the country. 9, 9 a.m. Mountain Time. There you go. Because I'm in Colorado right now. Okay. Hey, I'll uh, be on there. Dr. Wolfson's in Colorado, too. Where at? Oh, you know, I should know this. And I, he's over in one of the big ski areas a pretty far west. Is it W-I-L-S-O-N? Yeah. Yeah, he's closer to uh, Grand Junction than he is Denver. I do know that. Um, okay, I know where he is. Yeah, and he's out there because he does a lot of skiing and mountain biking. Now, his practice is in Scottsdale, and but he spends a lot of time in Colorado, and he's in Colorado right now. He's... Uh... Oh, God, I'm trying to think of the name of the place. I forget now it, what it's, it's called. It, I know he's near one of the big ski areas out there, but it's one of the further west. just can't remember which one it is. So, yeah, Not you'll be here tomorrow. Creek, should be a great show. We'll kind of give a report on the uh, conference we were just at, and we'll answer a bunch of questions and uh, 
Should be a great show. We will see you then. And again, we'll do the Power Hour next week as always. Be safe, be profitable, be fit and healthy. Always do the hard work and master the journey.